We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. Let's go straight into the word. Can we do that? Yes. Right, we're still on our Imitate series. Today becomes part 20... what? 20 what now? 25, right? Yes. Part 25. We're still dealing with the church of Jesus Christ and the apostles, right? So we're going to go straight into it. We stopped last week at the fact that the church of Jesus is what? True. Remember that? church is true there's no falsehood she's rooted and grounded in sound doctrine i took time to emphasize the fact that in this church we are big on teaching we're big on teaching we place premium on the word of god we love the music we love the fellowship we love the fun we love the family we love the sound we love the lighting we love the gear we love the media but nothing takes the place of the word of god rightly divided in the light of christ nothing nothing takes the place of the word of god rightly divided in the light of christ if you heard it let's go let's say together one to go Not bad at all. Not bad. Not bad at all. So sometimes I do that deliberately to see how much you're catching. Yeah. Nothing takes the place of the word of God rightly divided in the light of Christ. Nothing takes the place of the word of God rightly divided in the light of Christ. That's why we take as much time to teach. We don't spend more time doing anything else than teaching. Teaching, teaching. We pray by all means, we worship by all means, we have all the fun by all means, but we teach more. Because it's the teaching of the word that grows and grounds the believer. It's the teaching of the word that grows and grounds the believer. That's something we should all stay together, want to go. It's the teaching of the word that grows and grounds the believer. Yes, it's the teaching of the word. So that's how we, that's how we measure a true church. A true church is not measured by how often they meet. It's not measured by how many cars are parked outside. It's not measured by how good the music is. And boy, the music better be good. It is measured by the subscription they put on the word of God. Right? Divided. All right? So we said sound doctrine is as measured by the subscription and practice of the particulars of the gospel. Right? And the life of the early church. Now let's go into this next one. The church of Jesus Christ, which we are and are to imitate, is pure. The church of Jesus Christ is pure. The church of Jesus Christ is pure. That means the church that we are aspiring to be is a church that is pure. And what does it mean for anything to be pure? It means for it to be without defect. Right? For it to be fit for purpose. That's what it means for something to be pure. To be void of any... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for now? Somebody help me. Yeah, impurities obviously come from being pure. Sorry? Adulteration, yes. Blemishes. Sorry? Deficiencies, yes. Contaminations. What? Corruption, yes. <laughs> yes, corruption is one of them. The church of Jesus is pure. It means it's without any Imperfections is without anything that defiles, without any defilement, right? The church of Jesus is pure. She is not a perverse church. The church of Jesus Christ is not a perverse church. And therefore, perversion should not be stomached in the church of Jesus. Amen? The popular phrase that people throw up a lot the two times is used is found in Romans 6 is shall we continue in, in sin that grace may abound the actual trans actual translation original translation says do we continue in sin because grace abounds yeah because the previous verse the previous chapter in Romans 5 it had been clear that where sin abounds grace abounds much more there will never be more sin than grace do you understand so if Romans 5 I think in verse 19 look for it Romans 5 and 19 we looked at that, um, the, 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 the message renders it that when it's sin versus grace, you know, grace wins. That's down. Yes, 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Let's see it in the TPT. 
So then the law was introduced into God's plan. And this is where I left off with the U.S. home church yesterday. We're going to have conversations that I've not started to teach us in detail, but I began to have conversations with them yesterday about the covenants, finally. So we began to have conversations about covenants and testaments and wills. And I began to explain to them, and we're having a great time until I got to the point where I told them that the, what you know and what you call as the new covenant or new testament is actually the Old Testament, and what you call the Old Testament is the New Testament. The New Testament is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is actually the Newer Testament. The, the Old Testament is the new kid on the block. The Old Testament came and met the original testament. So what you call new is actually not new. So I asked them, I showed them what the law means and how much it depends on your works to get qualified and to be made righteous and how grace depends on what Jesus did. So the law is man-made and grace is God-made because the law is man-focused and grace is the law which is God-focused. It's an account of what God has done and not a function of works. So I said to them, between law, which is what demands of you to do something to be qualified, and grace, which is what God has done in Christ to qualify you, which of these two scenarios better describe the nature of God? Which of these two scenarios better describe the nature of God? Nature is the key phrase, the key word in that phrase, right? Nature. Grace is the nature of God. It means God did not pick it along the way. So be careful how you answer questions now because by the time you say grace is the nature of God, you cannot say grace is his nature and say the law came first. Then grace will have to have been an acquired nature or an acquired discipline and not the intrinsic nature of God. But every time God starts to describe himself, even when he gave the law, he says the Lord gracious, merciful, forgiving sin, forgiving iniquity. God always led with his nature. So he comes and starts to make promises. Pastor Takin can't sit anymore. <laughs> he comes and starts to make promises to Abraham because Abraham heard the gospel. So I asked them, I said, what is the gospel? And I said, the gospel is the part of Jesus Christ's redemption. He threw up all the nice things. I mean, we've been going for a while. And I said, great. Are you sure that is the gospel? They didn't answer. You know how we always ask you questions that look like a trick question. Are you sure that is the gospel? They said, yes. Are you sure that is the gospel? They said, yes. I said, well, let's go to Galatians chapter 3 verse 8. For scripture, foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles through faith, preach the gospel to Abraham. What is the gospel you said? What did you say the gospel is? Jesus Christ, Abby. What did you say the gospel is? Redemption. Righteousness, justification through who? Jesus Christ. Because scripture says neither is there salvation in any other but at the name of Jesus. Right? You are sure the gospel means Jesus Christ. And scripture preached the gospel to Abraham saying in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Galatians 3.8. So when scripture preached the gospel to Abraham, what did Abraham hear? So when Abraham believed God, Romans 4 and 4, quoting Genesis 15 and 8, 6 or 7 and 8, and there are, Abraham believed God and he was credited for him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe? The gospel. So Abraham received it how? By promise. So Jesus comes and stands in John chapter 8, I believe in 56, there, somewhere thereabout, And he says that your father Abraham longed to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Oh my God. I need to look for that in here. Blame. Is this, was that correct? Fantastic. Uh, put it in the TPT. Put it in the TPT. And not only that, Abraham, this will shock you. Abraham, your ancestor, was overjoyed when he received the revelation of my coming to earth. Yes, he foresaw me coming and was filled with delight. Abraham saw Jesus coming before the law was given. That says an ask. So now Galatians 3, somewhere around 15, 16, 17, somewhere around there, that says an announcement to you that the law, which was given 430 years later, cannot annul the promise such as to make it of no effect. Have you found it? Shall I go there? Fantastic. And this I say that the law, which was 430, give us antiquity. Remember the rare proclamation God spoke over Abraham and to Abraham's child? Child, God said that his promises were made to pass over Abraham's child, sperma, and not children, spermatozoa. For who is this child? It is the son of promise. 
Jesus, the anointed Messiah. 17. Next verse. This means that the covenant between God and Abraham was fulfilled in the Messiah and cannot be altered. Yet the written law was not given, even given to Moses until... Excuse me. So you cannot say Old Covenant and say Old Testament without first mentioning the word law. The Old Covenant is synonymous to the law of Moses. Ten commandments plus 613 other laws. And what does the scripture say here? That the law came when? 430 years after the promise of Jesus was made to Abraham. So it was because of grace that the law came. It's not because of the law that grace came. (laughs) Because man would not have been able to appreciate the fullness of God's nature in the absence of the law that shows him what it means like, what it feels like to exist outside the nature of God. So he sends the law on a specific assignment. Are you hearing me now? (laughs) <laughs> let me go back to where I am I don't have time today that was for free for somebody the church of Jesus Christ is pure she's without impurities she's without blemish because of what Jesus has done let's better put because of what God in Jesus has done it's not of works right lest any man should boast for a righteousness, Romans 3, 21. A righteousness apart from the law has been made revealed, been witnessed. Give us it in Newton James. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Being attested to by the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets, what were they teaching you? A righteousness apart from the works is coming. A righteousness apart from the law is coming. The law is telling you I cannot help you. You are trying to keep the law. The law is telling you, I'm not here for you to keep. And after you have kept me, you can't arrive at anything good. For we know that no one can be made righteous by the law. Because righteousness is of faith. So our purity is what Jesus did. Does that make sense? So the church cannot be a perverse church. Because the church's sins are washed away. And the church believes that her sins are taken away. Does that make sense? So we're not a perverse church can i can i proceed the church of jesus christ is a righteous church can we all say that so if you are in the church of jesus newsflash righteous if you're in the church of jesus christ and you're not in the church of jesus christ because you went through membership class no you are in a denomination you're not in the church of jesus christ because you attended believers foundation class so if you have attended like nine, talk to me, somebody. Yeah. yeah. Foundation class. Foundation class. Foundation. We have never finished digging your foundation. You are not a member of the church of Jesus Christ because of foundation class. Can I even shock you? You are not a member of the church of Jesus Christ by confirmation. <laughs> You're not a member of the church of Jesus Christ by the 39 altar calls you have answered in your short life. Where are the professional altar call answerers? Ex, where are them? Ex, ex-convicts. Yeah, my two hands are up. My two legs are up. I just can't lift them up at the same time. I probably did like 900 altar calls between Jess 1 and Jess 3. It's in that period of your life, especially if you're in a boarding school. Once you enter JS1, between the beginning of JS1, after summer, October, till December, Christmas, you'd have done altar call like 50 times. Because there's this overzealous SS3 student of FCS that's always making you doubt your salvation. You can never be born again enough. Because then it was a thing of your your pride for somebody to preach salvation and you don't repent. Something's wrong with you. Can you hear that message of the last day? Can you hear the message? Where will you spend eternity? And you are not moved. And then you know how the evangelist tries to move you further. He said, It doesn't matter if you are a deacon, you can be an evangelist. 
You can be the choir director. You'll now see the chief usher coming out. I accept you as my Lord and personal Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Wash me with your blood. And then you were looking at the chief usher. Ah, Brother Stephanus. <laughs> service the chief usher is not telling you so move that chair there you're like ah what can a new convert be telling me to can a new convert be telling me to move move, move chair what can you just got born again now 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 they're giving me me instructions Do you know who I is <laughs> now the, the 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 problem with the church is that we have come to substitute placement in the kingdom for placement in a denomination so once you go through the dogmatic requirements of a particular denomination, they admit you into the church. You'll see when they're getting guys ready for confirmation, getting them ready for baptism. You, there's guys who are weeding, literally weeding, behind the missions compound. Just an hour before baptism service will start. Because for them, baptism was a ritual into official acceptance in the church that then guaranteed that if you want to do an event, we can answer you. If you want to use the church for something, we can pay attention to you. If something came up that had to do with you, now you are a confirmed member of the church. And none, hardly any of those people had had an encounter with Jesus. Hardly any of them had heard the gospel. And you're, you're literally seeing them being baptized. You know, there's a baptismal font inside the church. And then you're up in the gallery and you see all your friends laughing at you and booing at you. <laughs> literally. And you're going in and you're laughing as they hold your nose and dunk you on the water. And then you come out and your friends are laughing because you know you guys are going to go and weed right after this service to celebrate your salvation. To celebrate your salvation. So we have begun to chase people in order to church them and add them to the number. As opposed to speaking the gospel of Jesus to them so they can receive the assurance of salvation. So a lot of people have gone through certain rituals to qualify to join a particular church denomination and have not heard the gospel, have not believed it, have not received it. And therefore are not in the church of the firstborn registered in heaven. Oh, but they are active in a denomination. Sister Jim Jim. Brother Jim Jim. You're in every meeting. In every service. You volunteer for every activity. And you don't know Jesus. You judge everybody. Judge what they are wearing. Judge what they are looking like. Because you sin differently. A different genre of sinner. You are just a different species of sinner. But because you think nobody sees your business. And you know most times I have said over and over. The worst form of inferiority complex. Is the kind that disguises itself as superiority complex. I think so little of myself and in order to make myself look a bit better, feel a bit better, I pick up on somebody and make myself be above them. Anybody trying to tower above you is someone who in reality feels less than you. Anybody who is trying to lord it over you, anybody who is trying to domineer over you, anyone who is trying to bully and intimidate you is someone, why does somebody rape a woman? Because he knows he stands no chance of getting her by her consent. That's why. If you like a lady, go and, go and woo her. Go and be a man. Don't be a wimp. Because it's wimps that rape. It's sissies that rape. Because if you still a good chance, then you have a lady or a girlfriend or a wife or whatever it is. So most times somebody who lords it over someone, why, the person that bullied you in school was never more brilliant than you. Who am I talking to? The, the class bully. Didn't mostly didn't know anything. Mostly didn't know anything. So how do they make up for all the times that the teacher boos them and tells them and stands them up for failing? They take it out on somebody else because they feel like they have an advantage of size or anger or something. So they start to transfer that onto you just to make themselves feel a bit better. Therefore, somebody who is acting superior is more the object of sympathy and pity than the object of aggression. You feel sorry. I feel sorry for someone who tries to be above. Yes, sir. 
I just, because the more you try to be above, the more you're showing how little you are. So we're not righteous by virtue of what we do to join a denomination. We're righteous because we believe what Jesus did to join us to his body. The church of Jesus Christ is righteous by faith. Because righteousness comes by faith. Right? It doesn't come by any other means. Righteousness comes by faith. The church of Jesus Christ is righteous. That's why she's pure. Look at Titus chapter 1 and verse 15. Titus 1, 15. One of my favorite scriptures in the New Testament. Hallelujah. To the pure, all things are pure. That's a weighty statement. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. Hey, look at Takon. I saw Takon with Jennifer. The way they were holding and hugging on the street. You are an unbeliever. Because to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. Nothing is pure. Let's see in the TPT. It's true that all is pure to those who have pure hearts. I love it. But to the, look at this, see? To the, nothing is pure. Their minds and consciences are defiled. So this is a litmus test. If you are in church, you have a story on everybody. You have a rumor. You, you, you have a permutation. You have a speculation. You have a, a calculation. You have an assumption, a presumption about everything and everyone. Newsflash! You are a corrupt unbeliever. Because that is a diabolon spirit. It's an accusatory spirit. And that is not the spirit of Jesus. So perhaps you're the one that actually needs an altar call. But you don't need to, the altar to call you. You have to call the altar. Because you, your case is too bad for the altar to call you. <laughs> now nah, you have to call the altar. Home service. <laughs> altar, altar, come to me. If you're constantly walking in defilement, constantly looking at everything as being impure, chances are you're a corrupt unbeliever. That has been churched. And men. There are plenty. Plenty unbelievers. That are churched. Plenty unbelievers that are titled. Pastor. Reverend. Bishop. Minister. Evangelist. Brother. Sister. Titular unbelievers. In the church. Of Jesus. They gain and enjoy human acceptance. But they're not exhibiting the fruits of righteousness. But to the pure, all things are pure. That means there's how somebody can be doing something that is impure. And because you look at them with pure eyes, you see no flaw in them. While at the same time not tolerating the flaw. But because you see them with such pure eyes... You will love them in purity out of the impurity. In other words, you love them into purity because you refuse to see the impurity. When you're growing is when you can look at somebody whose weakness you know and not judge them according to their weakness. You know it. They know it. They know you know it. But you don't judge them according to the impurity. Because to his own master he stands or falls. Yeah. Ah, and he shall stand. Romans 14, 4. For God is able to make him stand. Jesus didn't die for somebody and leave their preservation to you. If I don't tell you you are wrong, nobody will tell you you are lying. If I don't tell you, nobody will tell you. What are you feeling like? Yeah, in church. Me, you know me, I will tell you because me, if I don't, I know if you are, if I don't tell you, nobody will tell you. You are lying. The person has the spirit of God in them. Love them enough. Just love them, love them, love them. Highlight the impurity in love from a pure place. Don't judge them according to it. 
If you're in a place of influence, highlight it. But love them through it. Don't alter or discolor your love on account of a sensed or a perceived impurity. That's not the spirit of the church. The church of Jesus Christ is pure. We see no wrong in each other. We have wrong in each other. But we don't see it. And when I say we don't see it, I I don't mean we don't see it. We see it. But we don't see it. (laughs) Because to the pure, all things are pure. You know, most times I have conversations with people around me and they will ask me, why did this happen? And I will say, you have to put yourself in the position of that person and wonder what you would have done if you were in their shoes. That way you're giving yourself a lot of elastic limit for that person to do no wrong in your eye. So you heard that Noble um, had a fight outside and slapped Solomon. Ah, why would Noble do such a thing? I always knew it. His eyes always looked like somebody who's turning. You know, that's how we are in church. It's when something happens that everybody becomes a prophet who saw it before it happened. But nobody will ever say anything until it happens. Like our prophets on TV. do prophesy something. We didn't ever see it. Until somebody dies. They will now go and find footage or doctor footage that shows how they prophesied the person's death. To authenticate the, what's that? Oh, I knew, I knew it. I knew, I always knew. Why didn't you say it? The way she used to, used to dress, I always knew. That was something inside me used to tell. It's the devil. It's the devil, because the spirit of God is not an accusatory spirit. It's not. It's not. Just receive deliverance already. I'm serious. Receive deliverance already. It's the devil that's walking in you. It's the devil walking in you. The spirit of God is never accusatory. You walk around, look at them, say, look at them, see them. I know it. Just be watching them. Those who do it. Yeah. Those who do it. The same thing goes for any denomination that picks at another one. Look at them. Look at them. They're not covering hair. God is not at work there. I said it. God is not at work in a place that is full of accusation that reduces the eternal spirit of salvation to a carnal thing like hair covering and how you're dressing. And then you now judge yourself superior to somebody else because of what you wore. Fabric. Just because your own is nine yards. You know what I mean? Yours is sweeping the streets. So you look at somebody else's material is two yards and like, nah. This one cannot make heaven. Because when God was saving the earth, he checked out how many yards we're wearing. And the blood paid for a particular people who are dressed a certain way because they were dressed enough to receive the blood. And the blood alienated another crop of people because they were too skimpily dressed to be saved by the blood. You're the one that needs saving. I don't, I don't entertain such things. That, I'm not the kind of person that you say stuff to me and I go back and cry. Oh, look at this. Say this about me. As a pastor, you know, I, that, it died long ago. I'm too secure in my faith to be thrown around by what people say and do. Because when Jesus saved me, he did not feel a questionnaire. He didn't feel a survey asking who is, who is in support of me saving Alexander. Is Alexander worthy of being saved? Take care for yes. Take care for no. Thick here for I'd rather not say. Is the blood thick enough to cover all the nonsense is done? Thick here for yes. Thick here for no. Thick here for not sure. Thick here for I'd rather not say. He didn't do that kind of survey. <laughs> he fell in love with the world. For God so loved the world that he thought, that he processed. That he investigated. That he gave. He gave. And then when he gave, he gave. He now made it an open check. He said that whosoever believes. Uncle, unfortunately for you, I believe. And that is the only condition. 
Now, you may not like it, and I'm sorry I don't float your boat. I'm sorry I don't rock your boat, but I am a believer. Deal with it. And because I'm a believer, I am saved. I am righteous. I don't look like it. It's okay. I may not be what you look like, but I'm righteous. Because he sees me as righteous. And the only thing I needed to do was believe. Now, I have believed, and then I start to walk in the consciousness of what I have believed. That's why I must see him in whom I have believed. To walk in his footsteps. To imitate. I'm not imitating to become what I am not already. I am him, and I am imitating to walk out the Jesus I am already. Because as he is, First John 4, 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment for, for as he is. So are we in this world. Not the one to come. This one. Now. So the church of Jesus is righteous. She's pure. That means she does not know what defilement is. She's also being purified. The church of Jesus is pure, is righteous, is without blemish, and the church is being purified. Ephesians chapter 5, that famous wedding chapter. Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 25. We're getting into the territory that I couldn't get into last week. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her now at this point is talking about Christ and the church. Bear that in mind. The dynamics of salvation that have to do with Christ and the world. The dynamics of salvation that have to do with Christ and the church. Again, that's why the religious guys don't understand it. That's why people who are intellectuals are arguing blindly about being able to lose your salvation. Because they don't understand that they haven't received all of it. And we can't start talking about losing something you have not fully received. Something you have not fully received. It's not even given to you in, in totality for you to say you are, you are now responsible for it. There are dynamics of salvation that have to do with the world and there are dynamics of salvation that have to do with the church. This context is talking about Christ and the church. And gave himself for her, the church. That, go on, that he might sanctify who? Are you understanding this thing? This is not talking about the world. This is not talking about the unbeliever. <laughs> Whose sins are forgiven. This is talking about the church. And that he might sanctify and cleanse her, the church. The person, church. The body, church. With the washing of water. By the word that he, Christ, might present her, the church, to himself, a glorious church. Not having sport as a pure church. Or wrinkle as a pure church. Or any such thing, but that she should be holy and pure. Without blemish. So guess what? Christ saved the world. Those who believed become the church. And Christ then walks in the church to purify her. You're perfected. He sees you as pure. Because he sees you as pure, he's purifying you. So there are two washings that take place. <laughs> There's the washing by the blood. And then there is the washing by the water. And uncle, it's not baptism. Baptism doesn't wash. John said in John 1, me I'm baptizing you with water unto repentance, not unto salvation, not unto confession, not unto, unto redemption of sin. I'm baptizing you into repentance, but he is coming. I'm baptizing you with water unto repentance, but he is coming. Paul, you know, saying, saying to, to the Corinthian church, he said, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Gaius and Crispus and oh 
the house of Stephanas. Other than that, I did not baptize anybody. Then he makes the next statement. For Christ did not send me to baptize. And we totally ignore that verse. If baptism was a requirement for salvation, Paul could not have thought it was optional. Because he says, the same Paul says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. In other words, the preaching of the gospel of Jesus is not optional. But if it is baptism, Christ didn't send me. That's instructive. Tipity. Not to see how many I could baptize, but to proclaim the good news. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach Jesus. In other words, there is baptism and then there's Jesus. So when we say washing by the water, do not think baptism. <laughs> Are you here? The church is being washed. Psalm 51. Is anybody getting this? Psalm 51. We usually will not say Psalms because you're about to read one Psalm. So you don't say Psalms 51. You say Psalm 51 because you're, it's like saying turn your, your secret songs and solos to hymns 376. You're about to sing the 366th hymn in a book of hymns. You're about to sing the 51st Psalm in the book of Psalms because it's a hymn book. That was for free. Just like we also don't say Revelations chapter 2. Revelation 1 1. The entire book is what? The Revelation. Not Revelations. Aha. Uh-huh. It's one Revelation. John was caught up and right there, the whole thing was downloaded to him. One Revelation. Not Revelations. All right? So, where were we? Psalm 51. I need. This is David, right? Talking about stuff he didn't understand. I need verse 2, but let's go from verse 1 just for context. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's David asking. Wash me. Cleanse me. Revelation 1.5. Revelation 1.5. Okay, just go back to pick, the, pick where the sentence begins. Maybe verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us, and washed us from our sin in his own ways. Jesus is not washing us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus has washed us. The washing is past tense. Are you hearing me? David in Psalm 51 says, wash me from my sins. Jesus by his blood fulfills what David prayed for. So our sins have being washed. That's why I, Alexander Victor, and my household, as many as believe the gospel according to how I believe it, sing, what has washed away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I say, what has made me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, oh, oh. oh precious is the Lord. Past tense. No other fountain, no. Nothing but the blood. 
reality. That is your reality. It's something he has done. Oh, that day. I remember that day. Past tense, right? When Jesus When Jesus washed my sins away. Yeah. Oh, that day, that day, my sins were washed away. And six. And my night was done today. Say one. Heaven came down. Glory. Yeah. When I the cross, my Savior. So, so, it's, it's interesting how these songs are older than you, and even the people that sang these songs don't believe what they sang. They don't believe what they sang because the songs were there. From the 70s. And people sang them and did not believe them. My sins were washed away that day. I've said over and over and over and over. Religious people don't like to hear me say it. Everybody in the world has the same day that their sins were forgiven. All of us. We believe at different times. But our business was taken care of at the same time. Same day. We all have the same anniversary. Of the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> Yours was not forgiven before mine. It's our reality. Our sins have been washed away in his own blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Our sins have been washed away. And now we, as the church, are being washed. I, I find myself teaching a lot in analogies. I never prepare them. So sometimes even I am scared when I'm teaching and there's pictures and images coming up in my, in my head. Because you know, if it's something you're prepared, then you have a level of human confidence knowing that I have checked this thing out over and over. But what's coming to my head is, the, is a picture of, of... So Debbie arrived this morning. So as we came in, I noticed that she had a bit of stains on her black... Um, um, t-shirt, whatever it is that she's wearing. So I told James, I said, come t- take Debbie to my office, grab a face towel and clean that thing out. I mean, if, if those of you that know me, that's how I am. I'll see something, I'll notice it, I'll take care of it. You know, so I, I came upstairs and then James went and did that. Um, at the time that you left the house this morning, was what you wore dirty or considered to be dirty? It's clean, but somewhere between Wearing it and getting here, there was a smudge. Let's call that thing a blemish in the context of what we're talking about. James goes with her. At the point that James, I don't know, I don't know how you did it, but you went to my office, you used something, whatever it was. At the point that you did whatever you did to clean that thing off of Debbie's um, top, did you ever have the notion that Debbie was wearing a dirty top? At the time that James was cleaning that stain off of your top, did you at any point feel like, whoa, this thing is dirty and unworthy. I should go home and remove it and wear something else because this is messed up. So now your sins are washed away. You are wearing a garment of God's righteousness. You went out, you played in the sand and you picked up a spot somewhere and you picked up a blemish somewhere and you picked up a wrinkle somewhere And the person who is responsible for you at every point in time says, come here. I got to clean this up. I I bought this dress for you. You can't wear it anyhow and do nonsense with it. I got to clean this. And you don't even realize at that point that he's taking you through a process and he's removing the blemish. And that is what in Ephesians 5, Jesus is doing with the church. Different from the washing that he did to the world. So you are wearing a dress 
that is sponsored by the salvation of Jesus and not of your own works. And then you do something and he sees it and he's like, the other day I did the same thing to you. You remember? You're forgotten? I don't forget. You're wearing an olive-ish dress, a knee length that had a stain as soon as you arrived. I think it was last Sunday. And I said, come to my office. And I, put, and I cleaned the stain. And by the time I cleaned the stain with water, there was no water on the dress. And it was a light-colored dress. She was surprised. And she, again, she did not realize that there was a stain on her dress. But I am her pastor. I'm her father. I'm her under-shepherd. I see you. I take a look. I know something's out of place. And it's my duty to ensure that that... It is your father that ensures you are presented to himself faultless. Your faults are his to notice and fix. Your faults are his to notice and fix. It's up to him to notice and fix. He's not like your religious mind that says, oh, see that one, see this stain here. They leave house, waka, enter taxi, come. You didn't even realize that there's a stain. That's why you're not a believer. You are in church, but you're not a believer. You're not a believer. And because you don't understand, you don't have the mind of Christ, you cannot appreciate what God did for you in Christ. So you continue to struggle because you're processing what God does or what God did according to how you think. You're thinking that because you look at your friend and say, look at that one. They didn't even notice that their thing is stained. You think that's the way God looks at you. But he doesn't look at you that way. He looks at you as pure. And if you're pure, whatever blemish that shows up, I'm going to deal with it. Blemish, I'll deal with it. Impurity, I'll deal with it. It's my duty to preserve you and present you faultless. And I'm not looking at you and saying, you know what? Go back home. Take that dress off. Remove it. It's all messed up. It's dirty. It's, 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 it's there. If I don't tell you, you'll not notice that there was a stain. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, here's the funny thing. As she arrived, I saw it. I took care of it. Nobody at the hub saw it. Yes, sir. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Nobody. If I, if, if I wasn't telling you now. care of it I'm not saying you're not a son of God anymore No, you're a son of God I'm responsible for you that's what the Lord is always doing with you and he's not doing that by his blood because this is not sin we are dealing with now Sin, sin has been washed. Can you handle this? Sin has been washed. Sin is not something that will... There is no sin in the believer to be washed. There is no sin in the believer to be washed. It has been washed. But because you are still in the world of sin, you will interface every now and then with impurities. You will in- That's why Jesus told Peter. Peter did not budget to fall. Peter said, I will go anywhere with you. I will die with you. Peter did not budget that he was going to deny Jesus. In fact, Peter denied that he will deny Jesus. Are you, are you guys hearing what I'm saying? What is the time saying? Let me be very careful. Peter denied that he would deny Jesus. He, he told the person that is all-knowing, I cannot deny you. If everybody leaves you, I'm going to be here. Bros. J, I ain't going nowhere. Jesus. And Peter meant it. Peter did not plan to deny Jesus. Jesus went ahead of an impurity he saw coming. And says, hey, my friend, keep quiet. I've prayed for you. You fall, but my prayer has gone ahead of you. (laughs) So by the time Peter denied Jesus, listen, it made no difference to Jesus. It made absolutely no difference. 
to Jesus. That's why anybody that lies and says Peter repented is a thief and a robber. Peter repented. Peter, where? Show me. What restored Peter? The, the intercession of the high priest. I prayed for you. Because it's his business to keep you. And how does he keep you? I repeat, not by blood. But by the washing of the water, which is the word. So we keep you here and we start to teach you until you lose consciousness and gain consciousness. We start to teach you until every iota of blemish is dealt with. Until every iota of stain upon this flawless garment of Jesus is removed to the measure that it is exposed to the light of God's word. That's why I've always said, if there's an impurity in a believer's life, that impurity is highlighting an area of your life that the word of God has not reached. Because the same way I handle that stain with water and nothing else, is the same way the word of God, sir, handles your stain. With the word and nothing else. The word, nothing else. The word, not deliverance. That's why Paul did not say, cast away from you the spirit of lying. He says, put away from you lying. Because it's just the word that does it. It's nothing else. It's not the word and deliverance. It's not the word and 14 days prayer and fasting. It's not the word and going to hang upon a mountain and confess 19 things while you're dealing with an addiction. It is the washing of the water by the word that keeps the church pure. Such as if a church is word deficient, every manner of blemish is there. Church is word deficient. The, the reason why the church is struggling and is steeped in such deficiency is because there is a de-earth. There is a de-earth. There is a lack. There is, the word is an endangered species in such a place. The word rightly divided. Because guess what? Telling you you are wrong never makes you right. So every day we gather you and tell you this and 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 that and that and that and make heaven and make heaven and make heaven and make heaven. It doesn't fix anything. We're showing you who you are in the light of Christ. Showing you you're a son of God. You are above this. Your sins are washed away. That's why we don't let kids run around when we dress them up. Because they have no clue what they're wearing. The kid will look at the sleepers. Expensive shoes you bought for them and they'll wear the left on the right and wear the right on the left and not think they did anything wrong. So we're responsible for you until you start to grow. Until you can stand and speak for yourself. So you're giving grace gifts to grow you until, until. That is the washing of the water by the word. Because among other uses, water is greatly symbolic of the word of God. Did you get that? He's washing the church with the water. The church that he called out of the world that is washed with the blood. Ephesians 5.26, put it back. Is it clear enough for you to understand? Ephesians 5.26. That he might sanctify. Let's see how the TPT puts this. I haven't checked it out. Let's see how the TPT puts this. To make us, go back to 25. I want to see where it picks the, the thought. And to the husbands, you are to demonstrate love for your wives with the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride. For he died for us, sacrificing himself to make us, church, holy and cleansing us through the showery. Malaboso kete bahadamala. Through the showering of the pure water off. I'm just saying that for the first time. I'm just saying it for the first time. <laughs> Let's check the message, right? Let's humor ourselves. Let's see if it's on this thing as well. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evokes her beauty. Everything he does and says 
is designed to bring the best. If God will help a man, he will send him his word. If God will help a man, he will send you his word. If God will cleanse a blemish, he will send you his word. If God will fix an impurity, he will send you his word. To refuse the instruction of God from his word is to refuse to be... Imagine Debbie arrived and, and, and I said to her, I need to clean your thingy. Follow James to my office. Debbie of like two years ago will say, why do I need to follow you to your office? Why, why, need to, why do I need to follow you to your office? There's something I want to clean. Hey, show me I can clean it. So people are so self-aware that to be looked after becomes a problem. Now, at that point, there's nothing I can do for you. You can, you can only be helped and led to the measure of your yielding. Only to that measure. I, I love you, but I can't help you anymore. Just like those of you that are always convinced that if you're wrong, you will know. You know such proud people? Yeah. No, I didn't, have, I, don't, I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. If, I, if I'm doing wrong, I will know. If you know, why are you doing wrong? <laughs> I, 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 I didn't think I, I was doing anything wrong because that's how I used to know that this thing I'm, I'm, I'm doing is wrong. So if you re- refuse instruction in righteousness... Paul is telling Timothy, rebuke, exhort. It's in 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word, Paul tells Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. So when we call you in the spirit of Christ and say to you, this is what the word of God says about what you're dealing with. You have to be open enough to accept that this is what the word of God says. Because therein lies your purification. As the church of Jesus. Are we understanding that? Let's look at Numbers 19. Oh, hallelujah. Is anybody getting this? Numbers 19. I'll read from 17. I just need verse 19. And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer. That's a female cow, right? Burned for purification from sin and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take heights up and dip it in the water. And sprinkle it on the tent and on all the vessels, on the persons who were there, or on the one who touched the bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. 19. The clean person, the clean person, shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, the clean person shall purify himself. Wash his clothes. The clean person. The clean person that has been used to purify the unclean person. The clean person shall purify himself, wash his clothes, bathe in water, and at evening shall be clean. Verse 19 again. (laughs) The clean person, somebody say the clean person. person. Shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day, he, the clean person, shall purify himself, wash his clothes, Bathe in water and at evening shall be clean. The clean person shall be clean. Hebrews 10, 22. Let us. Who is us? The clean person. The clean peoples. Let us. Not them. Us. Hmm? Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We, clean people, washed with pure water. Oh, not highlight or bella water. Or what's the one behind us? Blue rose. But the washing of the water by the word. We are constantly being sprinkled. So it turns out that the reason why we are busy pleading the blood today is because we don't know that what we should be pleading is the word. So we are doing battles with the blood that we should be doing with the word. (laughs) We're trying to win by the blood what is only won by the word. Because the blood has done its job. (laughs) the blood has done its job there's no blood left the word of God abides forever 
Yes, sir. <laughs> his blood was shed once and for all. His name is not the blood. His name is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. First John 1 John 1.1 calls him the word. It's his name. The word is ever present, ever walking. Ever. If God is helping you now, it is his word. Blood has done its job. You were washed of your sin once for all time. Hebrews 10, 14. One of Stephanie's favorite scriptures. Hebrews 10, 14. Put it up. By one offering. How many offerings? One. How many offerings? One. He has perfected how long? And as we sing in this church, Auntie, forever. It's a very long time. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being. So what is sanctifying you now? Not the offering. The water. The word. TPT. 1014. And by his one sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete the message it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people by that single offering he did everything that needed to be done for everyone who takes part ever enduring word one sacrifice. Ever enduring word. One sacrifice. So it's ignorance that is making us try to use the blood for what only the word can do. Are you receiving instruction? Yes, sir. What only the word can do. Are you getting this? Ah, I want to go into something, but I think I'm going to stop here. Because I, 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 I need to also show us the dimension of water as it relates to the spirit and the ministry of the spirit for the purification of the believer. Because the water is the word, the water is the spirit, and then the spirit is the word. Then it comes together. The water is the word, the water is the spirit, the spirit is the word, the spirit is the water. Because then it all comes together. The water is also reminiscent of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. And the water is symbolic of the Spirit. John 4.14. John 4.14. Ah, Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You start to get a clue. John 7, 37 and 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and Drink, 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart or belly will flow. See verse 39. But this he spoke. Concerning the spirit whom those believing in him will receive. For at that time the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. So water in us is also symbolic of the spirit. If water is word, water is spirit, spirit of whom? Romans 8, 9. Just before he says spirit of God. Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Spirit of? Spirit of? Same verse. Now, if anyone does not have 
Who is the spirit? The water. What's the water? The word. What's the word? The spirit. The word of God is cleansing you according to the working of the ministry of the spirit. Equals water. The word of God working in you as energized by the ministry of the Holy Spirit equals to the washing of water. So if anybody will grow and gain mastery over life, grow and gain mastery over addictions, grow and gain mastery over the things you're struggling with, grow and gain mastery over the blemish and the spot and the wrinkles, it must be a continual work of the word of God by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That is your ongoing sanctification. Your ongoing sanctification is a dual equal partnership between the word and spirit. Between the word and spirit. Dual partnership working in you to birth the will of the father. That is why no believer can afford to ignore the leading of the spirit. Because the leading of the spirit is the sanctification of the believer. I am pure. Who is repeating after me? <laughs> oh, my sins are washed in the blood. And every blemish, every spot, every wrinkle, present in my sonship state, does not escape the light of God's word. Does not escape the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when all is said and done. I shall be presented faultless. Without blemish. Without sport. Without wrinkle. To the Father. Through Christ Jesus. Who is my preservation and the assurance of my salvation for the day of redemption? Give him praise if you believe that in here this afternoon. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.